Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Get in touch with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello there, everybody, and welcome to Tech Stuff. My name is Chris Paulette, and I am the tech editor here at HowStuffWorks.com. Sitting across from me, as usual, is senior writer Jonathan Strickland. Turn down your lights, folks. <laughs> I guess that's your way of mentioning that that's going to be the start of our movie episode. Yes. So uh, this episode comes to us courtesy of a little listener mail. And this listener mail comes from Richard, who says, Would you guys consider a podcast on your favorite and least favorite tech movies? Yes, Richard, we would. We did consider it, and now we're doing it. Um, we decided tech movies is kind of a hard thing to quantify. We kind of decided to just go with, uh, well, I mainly focus on science fiction films in which the tech actually plays at least some role within the story. It's not just uh, necessarily part of the background. Although, again, fast and loose, we're, we didn't want to hedge ourselves in too much. So, uh, Chris, do you want to give it? Give us a start here. Give us your first pick and uh, explain why you like it. Well, my first pick, Jonathan, is yes. one that we actually just talked about. It was the first movie that came to mind when I was thinking of movies with technology in them that I really uh, thought was awesome. Uh-huh. And that would be War Games. Awesome. Those, shall we play a game? And... um some of you younger listeners, we do have quite a few of you. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, some of you longer, younger listeners may not be familiar with this movie uh, because it, it came out uh, many years ago. Yes, starring a young Matthew Broderick. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The idea being um, this was back when I think it's safe to say that modems dialing in, using your computer to, to make contact with another computer was sort of a novelty. Yeah, I think uh it might have been like a 300 baud modem that he was oh, yeah. using. I mean, this was this was a a brand new th- I remember when I saw that movie, I had never heard of using a computer to dial into another computer at that point. But then again, also I was quite young when this film came out. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And of course, uh, in the movie, uh Matthew Broderick and Ali Sheedy uh Put their take their phone off the hook. Put it on the modem phone cups. Yes, That's what kind was, of modem it this was. This was back when we used to have to use. Uh, well, some of you, I, I, I doubt anyone listening to us is using a dial-in modem because it would take too long to download the episodes. Yeah, no kidding. But yeah, uh, we used to have to use phone lines to mm-hmm. connect to the internet. Well, some actually, still before do. this is even before the internet. Yes, that's true because they were dialing directly into a machine. Yes, and uh, it was a government machine. Right. In, in the beginning, you find out that he can uh, hack into the school computer and mm-hmm. and change things around there, but it turns out he can hack into other things as well. And he hears about this particular computer that. Sounds like it has some incredible stuff on it, and in true hacker fashion, he wants to know what that stuff is. It's not that he wants to cause tr- problems or or be a pain in the butt. He's just curious, and he has to satisfy that curiosity. Yes, and uh, the computer asks him if he wants to play a game, and uh, he's up for that. And so he starts a game called Global Thermonuclear War. Uh, the problem being that this computer happens to be owned by the federal government and is used for uh, war simulations. So, of course, all the people at NORAD and all the other folks watching those boards with lots of blinking electronic planes on them uh, get very, very nervous because it appears that there is an actual attack being launched. Right. Yeah. So it it the the computer with the simulation taps into essentially the the 
uh, computer system as a whole for NORAD. And mm-hmm. uh, that's what kind of capitulates this into an awful, awful problem where it looks like the world is on the brink of actual thermonuclear war. Mm-hmm. And fortunately for us, Matthew Broderick's character comes up with a solution at the very end to try and teach the computer why this is a bad idea. We shouldn't spoil it, I guess, just in yeah. case you haven't seen it. It is worth watching. I mean, it's excellent. It's one of those movies where you're going to have to get over the dated references and everything. You know, it's going to seem kind of weird and cheesy to someone who didn't, who wasn't around in the early eighties or, you know, was very young in the early eighties and barely remembers it. But it, it is a, a legitimately good tech movie. I'm glad you picked that one. Yeah, I uh, I think it will also give you an, uh, an appreciation, especially for people who weren't uh, around back then, to how far technology has come in a very, very short period of time, really, is in the grand yeah. scheme of things. Um, also, I read in Wired magazine a, a while ago, not too long ago, but uh, apparently President Ronald Reagan had watched the movie and it actually had – clued him in to the significance of computer technology and the kinds of things that uh, uh, it could be used for and um, apparently started the seeds of uh, a uh, technology program in the government and you know what needed to be protected, uh, which is funny because now, just today, we had the, uh, as the day we're recording this, we had our cybersecurity coordinator named. Right. So uh, kind of topical today. Now that that movie actually reminds me of one that I didn't put on my list, but I probably should have because uh-huh. I, I do enjoy it quite a bit, which is uh, an older film, but based on a similar topic, which is Dr. Strangelove or How I uh, Learned yeah. to Stop Worrying and Love the Bomb. Yes, yes. It's a Kubrick film. Um, now, in that movie, you have a uh, – you have several things all converging on one horrible, horrible event. Mm-hmm. The first thing is you've got a crazy uh, army base commander who has decided that he wants to create a first strike on the Russians because the Russians are up to no good and will eventually attack. And the only answer is to attack them first. So he uh, he he's doing this on his own. He goes rogue, essentially, mm-hmm. and and. Uh, turns against his own country in order to escalate a war with Russia. Unfortunately, and unbeknownst to this commander, Russia has developed a secret super weapon, a doomsday device, which will essentially wipe out pretty much all life on Earth. Um, the whole idea being that by revealing the existence of this weapon, no one would ever dare attack Russia because it would automatically retaliate and there's no way to shut it off. Yeah. But Russia hasn't said anything about the device because it was supposed to be a surprise. The president wanted to reveal it on a certain day, and that day had not yet arrived. And so you have this whole group of people who are trying to figure out how to get out of an impossible situation and doing all they can to avert it. And um, I won't spoil that one either. I'll just say that it uh, it is a great movie. Peter Sellers plays half the cast, and he does a great job. Yes, and if you... Uh if you have seen the movie, I would also recommend uh, – it's kind of a weird thing, but you should check out the movie Failsafe because it will make you – especially after having seen it, I had to watch it for a class in college and I suddenly went, oh, because uh, Dr. Strangelove actually makes a lot of references to that, which is a very actual serious movie about mm. the idea that you know Russia and the, so- the Soviet Union and the United States might go to all-out – uh, nuclear war. Right. So, well, let me do one that's actually references. on my list since that one wasn't. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, go, keeping with kind of the young hacker theme, uh, Real Genius 
Ah, yes. Real Genius starring a young Val Kilmer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is a movie about a college that, uh, that attracts really, really smart people who especially are uh, particularly uh, interested in things like physics, mm-hmm. um, chemical engineering, that kind of thing. And uh, although they're geniuses in every field essentially at this, this college, but the, they actively recruit young, brilliant minds. And then it turns out that the professor who is recruiting these young, brilliant minds is doing so in order to have them build a laser weapon device that can be deployed from an airplane and pinpoint a specific target on the ground from uh, low orbit, actually, mm-hmm. and zap that target. And uh, so essentially it's like the most powerful sniper ever. And um, the professor has agreed to a contract to the, with the military to deliver this weapon. But of course, the professor himself is not developing any of the technology because it turns out he's not smart enough to do it. He has hmm. his students doing it unbeknownst to them. They have no idea what it is that they are. They don't know why they're developing the stuff they're developing. They just think of it as a school project. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's actually filled with wacky shenanigans. That description of the plot makes it sound pretty serious, but it's really a comedy. Yeah. And uh, and it's a, a a pretty goofy one. It also, if you've only know Val Kilmer from his later work, it'll it'll show him in a totally different light to you. All right then. Your next favorite. Um, I, I don't think this list would be complete without one of us, and I bet I, I'm willing to bet that this may actually be somewhere on your list. Uh huh. Um, that would be Blade Runner. You know what? Not on my list. Really? Mm-mm. Well, uh, Blade Runner is based on a book by Philip K. Dick called "Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep?" And it's about um, it's about androids who walk among us, mm-hmm. um, some of whom have uh, become very dangerous, um, and uh, they're actually called replicants, both right. in the book and the movie. Um, and it's uh, it's really dark. And, and it's kind of scary because it gets into what it, what it's like to be human, what it means to be human. And, you know, there are questions about who is actually human and who is actually a replicant. Um, so it's, uh, because yeah. the, the main character is, is, uh, his job is to hunt down these, uh, replicants who have gotten out of hand and are dangerous to human life. Um, and, uh, and I won't get into too much detail there. It's interesting because it depends, it fully depends upon which version of the film you see. Yeah, that's true. Because depending on the different version of the film, some people turn out to be replicants and sometimes they don't. Yes. And apparently part of that has to do with the budget of the original movie and what they were yeah. able to include and how long it was supposed to be and all this other stuff. I have so. something. This is not one of my favorites. This okay. is actually one of my least favorites. Are, are we going to add some least favorites in with the favorites? I'm just going to sneak it in because it's related to the one you said. Okay. So you talked about Blade Runner and Replicants and the, what it means to be human. Uh-huh. I have a similar movie uh-huh. that tried to do that but I think was ultimately a failure. Okay. AI, artificial oh, yeah. intelligence. Mm-hmm. Also ties back into Dr. Strangelove because it was originally a Kubrick project. Right. Uh, AI, the reason why I do not like AI is, well, there's several reasons. One, the movie should have ended 20 minutes before it actually ended. Um, True. There was a, a, a perfect, tragic Kubrick ending. They could have finished the film, and yes, it would have been sad, but it was the right ending for that yeah. movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, and instead it kept on going. Um, and it just, there were some really important, deep questions that, it was asking, but it wasn't – I don't think it gave the audience enough to really make up – you know, 
each each individual audience member cannot make up his or her own mind because the way Spielberg made that movie, the answer was already made for you. Yes. The question I would say is, does an artificially intelligent creature, does it have the same sort of rights and, uh, uh, does it have rights like a human being would have rights mm-hmm. just because it is self-aware um, and has this ability to learn and possibly even feel? That's another question is could an artificially intelligent construct actually experience what we consider to be emotions? We don't know that answer. But this movie managed to answer the question for you. I think it's much more interesting to pose that question to the audience and have that be a debate. I mean, is it – is it right to even create an artificially intelligent construct if there is the potential for it to develop not just self-awareness but emotions? Um, is that the responsible thing to do because you have essentially created a slave at that point? Yeah. And that was kind of the point of the movie. But again, like I said, they answered the question for you without really giving you the opportunity to ask it yourself. Yes, yes. So did you want to get back to one on your list? Or oh, you want uh, me to a good one? one sure. Um <laughs> I say a good one, a, a movie I really enjoyed, uh, mm-hmm. 12 Monkeys. Ah. 12 okay. Monkeys, one of, uh, Terry Gilliam's movies. I, now I'm a, I am an enormous Terry, Terry Gilliam fan. I could have also easily put Brazil on here. 12 Monkeys and Brazil to me go hand in hand. Both of them are about dystopian worlds. Uh, in 12 Monkeys, it might even not be a real world. It's hard to say because, how much of that is actually supposed to be happening and how much of it is within the mind of the main character? Mm-hmm. Um, now, 12 Monkeys, you've got uh, the story of a a guy who's sent back in time to change events and, and sort of the the uh, series of circumstances that he encounters as he tries to do this. And he, he misinterprets events and changes the wrong thing. And uh, it, it kind of poses the question of, is time malleable? Or if you could travel through time, could you actually make a difference? Or would you really just be playing into the same events that, that you noticed in the future? Like mm-hmm. if, if you went back in time and tried to change things, would it turn out that the things you tried to change actually led to the events being the way they were when you started? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's it. Now, now it's not really all about the tech. In fact, the technology takes a kind of a, a, a back seat in that one. But uh, all the visions of the dystopian future are really, really disturbing in that very visual Gilliam style. So that's one that sticks with me. Okay, then. Your turn. Um, speaking of movies that involve tech, but they it sort of takes a backseat, uh, one of my favorites would probably be uh, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Oh, another one I haven't seen. Really? Yeah. Oh, well, it's, uh, you know, the tech really sort of plays a, well, it's a crucial part in the movie, but it's not about the technology. Right, it's, right. Um, about the a company that will let you erase your memories. So essentially, right. you're able to start over if you have something that you just want to forget about. And um, uh, actually, scenes from Dollhouse just flashed through my mind, but that's a TV show. Yeah, uh, talking about erasing your memories. Um, but uh, it's it's really really enjoyable, um, and I liked it very much. But uh, uh, you know, I won't get into the, the details of the movie, but the, the characters, of course, um, interact with one another and, you know, find out when they get their access to their old memories back, some things that, you know, they were a little surprised to find out. 
Hmm. So uh, it's it's an excellent movie. It's we it's kind of weird, <laughs> but well, it, it, you know it would be because it's about memory. And everyone I know who saw it really enjoyed it. That's just one of yeah. those. You know, there's always those movies that get away from you that you never got a chance to see. And I'm, I have lots I of them. Um, I was going to mention Gattaca. Ah, uh, yes. You know, lots I, of people like that as a as a tech movie. There's something about dystopian futures. That I find oh, really, like really fascinating. I like, I like both in, in, uh, novels and in films. And I think part of the reason why I like it is because I consider them warnings. Like, this is a warning of what can happen if you aren't careful and, you know, just, just think about the consequences of your actions and the act, not, not your actions as in you, the individual, but actions mm-hmm. kind of as a collective group and, and the decisions we make and how that can lead to a really, uh, terrible situation. Now in Gattaca, you've got a world where you've got, uh, these in genetically, the yes, genetically designed people who are, uh, you know, more or less as, as perfect as they possibly can be kind of a brave new world situation. Uh-huh. And, uh, and they are given preferential treatment because you will automatically know from a genetic level, these people are superior to the folks who are born the good old fashioned way. Mm-hmm. And so why take a risk on someone, uh, who wasn't designed when you know, you know, genetically, this person's perfect. Therefore, they should take the job. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's the story of a, a guy who was not uh, one of the designed, who uh, nevertheless is determined to pursue his goal. And as uh, in order to do so, he must he must put upon the appearance of being one of the perfect people. And the, it talks about the uh, the great lengths he goes to to disguise his identity and try to slip under the radar of a society that is not only incredibly advanced, but also incredibly paranoid. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the company he works for does routine uh, uh, scans of things like even the keyboard. They'll they'll vacuum up the skin particles that fall between the keys on a keyboard and analyze them to make sure that the person who's sitting there is who they say they are. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of interesting to show how uh, a person with a, a real drive and ambition will go to incredible and dangerous lengths in order to achieve it. Um, and also, I mean, the audience is supposed to side with the main character. You're supposed to say, okay, well, this guy's right. This is a society that's wrong. And, uh, and the movie makes that very easy. But it's it's very well done. Great style to that movie. Uh, highly recommend it. It's a little – there's some disturbing moments in it. I yeah. won't lie. But it's uh, – I enjoyed it. All right. Well, I've got a question for you. Yeah. We both – Mentioned some of the movies that we really like. Yeah. Do we want to get on to some of the ones that we really don't? Because we're not going to have a lot of time if we go through all of our likes. All right, let's go. Unless hit, you want to mention hit... your other likes without getting into them. Uh, Wally. Oh yeah, definitely Wally. Okay, there we go. All right, so also Wally, a little bit of a dystopian future there. Yeah. All yeah. right, so let's go into the the ones that we either we called them least favorite because that's what Richard said. Yeah. I like to call these hatred with the passion of a thousand exploding suns movies. Oh, are the Star Wars prequels on here then? No, I didn't count Star Wars because those are fantasy films, not science fiction. Okay. But they are about – never mind. Go ahead. Um, but yes, the, y- the prequels are terrible. Okay. So my uh, my top disliked uh, heavily leaning on tech film? Yes. Independence Day. Oh, that's on my list too. <laughs> Score. Bingo. You know, and what's crazy is the very first time I saw it, I enjoyed that movie. It was on subsequent viewings that I realized how stupid that film is. Yeah, that's that's the annoying part of it. I mean, the story itself is kind of fun, but then the, the whole premise of bringing down an alien uh, intelligence with um, a virus. 
Yes, from that is the typical from my Mac, no less. Yes, a virus Not generated exactly known, on a Mac computer. Known for uh, the virus, right? How would you design a computer virus for an alien technology that you have never encountered before? You don't know what the operating system's like. How, why would it even be based on binary? I, it could oh be a quantum computer. God, I am. Yeah, no that that movie just that premise alone drives me crazy. But yeah. there's plenty in that film to, and of course that that started the whole disaster porn thing that the guy started. You know, oh, he yeah. also did the day after tomorrow, and he did uh, 2012, and yeah. So yeah, he. He needs to be stopped. Um, I mean, he makes stuff blow up real good. Don't oh, get yeah. me wrong. Yeah, no, no, You're no. a McKinsey brother. You like that stuff. But, um, <laughs> yeah, I'm not a, uh, not a fan of that, um, that movie. Uh, so here's one of mine. Okay. Okay. This is like the movie that I will never forgive my parents for taking me to when I was a kid. Okay. So it was a fantasy slash science fiction film. Okay. Your. The Hunter from the Future. Oh, no. Did you ever see this? <laughs> no, but I've, I've not seen it, but I know it exists. It is so terrible, people. All right. Now I am, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, tech stuff listeners, you know the, how they say that, oh, that movie's so bad. It's good. Okay. This movie is so bad. It's gut wrenchingly awful. Do not watch this movie. It is just, it is boring. It it's makes no there. sense. Uh, the, there are no, none of the characters have any sort of charisma or acting ability. Um, it is, it is just a, a, a total mess of a movie. It has prehistoric sections where, where there's a guy fighting dinosaurs and there's stuff on a spaceship and there's no real explanation how this all works. And it's just dumb. And I will never <laughs> forgive my, I, I can, I can vividly remember my dad teasing me before we go see this movie is what are we going to go see so, your movie my movie no not your movie your movie ha 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 dad well not a laughs on you because i'm gonna bill you for the psychological damage that film caused me over the last 30 years actually it's not that long but anyway go ahead your turn this one is is another one that's sort of peripheral yeah armageddon you know what? I have not watched that. I, I, but I have seen Phil Plate, the bad astronomer, do a uh, <laughs> a shot for shot criticism of one, I think, two minute section of that movie, uh, and it was so funny. I mean, if you want to, uh, you know, land two space shuttles on an asteroid that is headed for Earth, you know. Then it's the movie to watch if you actually believe that that's possible. Wait, he, I have doubts. He, he talked about – Plate talked about what you would actually want to do in order to get rid of uh, an asteroid that size. He said that blowing it up is the last thing you want to do because yeah. it just makes lots of asteroids <laughs> heading toward Earth. It's, it, that, that makes sense. Uh, but he talked about you know what you would really want to do. This is kind of just interesting from a science perspective. Uh, Phil Plate said – what you might want to do is you want to move the asteroid out of the way so it's no longer moving within the path of the planet. Yes. So you would do something like perhaps send a rocket up there that could deploy a second rocket. It would actually attach to the asteroid and then propel the asteroid just a few thousand miles off course, mm -hmm. and that would allow it to miss the planet. Yeah. And uh, it was interesting to me that he could both deconstruct a film and show how it could actually work. And also, uh, no one needs to die or sing leaving on a jet plane. <laughs> Very um, nice. Lawnmower Man. Oh. Okay, the reason – Lawnmower Man is just a bad movie all around. But the, really the reason it made this list is not just because it's a bad movie. 
but it's one of those films that gave people the wrong idea of what virtual reality can and can't do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, okay. You know, it gave people the unrealistic ex- expectation of what virtual reality is capable of doing. And I think that is one of those movies that helped kill the term virtual reality because once people realize that VR wasn't anywhere near where the movies said it was, they lost interest and therefore the VR projects lost funding and then set them back by like five years. So bad movie, Lawnmower Man, bad movie. <laughs> How many more bad movies do you have? Um, a few. Okay. Well, I've already done AI, so that's off. Okay. Um, I've got two more. Okay. Because, uh, I was going to mention, uh, the black hole. Yeah. Which, you know, it's got lasers. It's got robots. It's got a ship that's going to be plunging into a black hole. What could possibly be more boring than that movie? Oh my God. Yeah. I, you know what? If you have insomnia, <laughs> here's what you do. Just curl up in bed, put on the black hole and prepare for the deep embrace <laughs> of the best sleep you've ever had in your life. <laughs> it, I, you know, as a kid though, I enjoyed it, but I didn't realize you know, it, I, it's surprising. I should have been bored to tears. Yes, by the it. black hole. That's what has turned Chris Paulette into the dynamo he is today. Yes. <laughs> Go ahead. Okay. Um, Back to the Future Two. <laughs> Back to the Future Two only <laughs> exists as a link between the first and third movie. That's the mm. only reason for Back to the Future Two to exist, and all the stupid futuristic tech they came up with was dumb, cartoony, had no basis in reality, and we're rapidly closing in on the year 2015. That is when they traveled to. Have you seen anything flying cars? Huh? Flying cars? It's funny cars? that you would say that because I put Back to the Future 3 on my that list. That is a freaking awesome movie. The space train. No, that's just... like steampunk, man. Steampunk is awesome. Okay, I'm, I would like to apologize to all our <laughs> listeners out there who, along with me, are screaming at Paulette saying, but Back to the Future 3, it was a good movie. I have my defenders. All right. I, the two people who wrote in <laughs> agreed with me people. that the Western aspect of Back to the Future 3 alone makes it better than Part 2. Part 2 was terrible, man. I mean, there's no defending Part 2. It, it is not here's, – here's the one reason why Part 2 – falls apart all by itself. Mm-hmm. It cannot stand alone as its own movie. Well, because it all it is is a transition between 1 and 3. No, I, I will give you that. But uh anyway, actually it, 3 in a way can't stand on its own either because it depends upon the ending of part 2 in order for it to make sense, but well, still. That, that's the whole thing because it reminds me of another uh set of uh, trilogy or well, another trilogy that was really oh, dependent. No, my God, you better not be talking about them. There's only one movie in the trilogy you're about to talk about. <laughs> well, there's uh, certainly one that stands on its own. Yes. The Matrix. Yes. Yeah, because the sequels no. were about, again, they were about blowing stuff up. Oh, uh, this is, this, this part of the podcast is called Wind Up Jonathan Until His Head Explodes Again. And no, no, it's not worth that because we're, we're running out of time. Right. But there's, there's not exactly a lot of plot. Okay. So the Matrix, the first Matrix the film was two. really, really stylistic and cool and awesome and I yeah. loved it and yeah granted the more you started to think about things the more it kind of fell apart but it still was really neat the problem was that Matrix 2 did not capitalize on the first Matrix film and not only that but it, it kind of ignored a lot of the stuff that was, that was set up in the first movie like the impression I got I don't know about you but the impression I got after watching the first Matrix film was that what these characters were going to do next would be trying to find a way to overthrow the robots yeah. And save the human race. Yeah, no, no, no. But then in parts two and three, essentially the story was not, oh no, that part of the human race is pretty much done for. We're just going to save the ones that are left in the center of the planet, you know, floating around in there. 
those are the only ones we really want to save. Yeah, that's pretty much it. That, oh, that drove me nuts. Hated yeah. it. Yeah. Hated it. Also, the architect, if you read that stupid, stupid speech he has and you boil it down to what he's actually saying, he's not saying a damn thing. Okay. He's just using a lot of $25 words to say nothing at all. Okay. I can say nothing at all for cheap. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. Um, all no right. comment. Minority Report. Oh, that was actually on my list of good, but not at the top of my list. See, I, I, I like the, it. I like the tech, but, uh, I can't get past the basic premise, which is how can he be framed for a premeditated murder when he doesn't even know the identity of the person he's supposed to kill? How can he premeditate a murder for someone he doesn't know? He can't, and that's the point. Well, I know, but how does the ball pop up then? Because the precogs are only seeing flashes of what's going on. But see, the, no, the whole basis of it, like, the, for the murder to, for the murder to actually have to happen, the ball has to pop up. It, it's a, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. There's no initial act for that ball to pop up in the first place. That's my problem. This is my problem with a lot of, uh, Philip K. Dick's stuff and also, uh, uh, Heinlein's stuff. Um, a lot, they, a lot of their, their premises are based upon things that have already, that they're, they're like a closed loop system, right? There's no uh-huh. way to start it. There's no way to finish it. It's just that you experience the loop and I hate those because how does that loop exist on its, okay. Uh, calm. calm. <laughs> I have a movie that fits in both categories. Okay. One that I both love and hate. Okay. Tron. Yeah. Tron was some of the coolest effects I had ever seen at that point. I mean, it was, especially when you consider that most of that stuff was hand drawn. It wasn't actually computer animation. Uh, a lot, now a lot of it was computer animation, but not all of it. Um, it was a really cool concept. It was really, really cool set design. Horrible script. Horrible script. I didn't realize how horrible a script it was until I attended a staged reading of the screenplay of Tron. It was done as a joke. Uh, all the actors were dressed up in stage blacks with, uh, they, some of them had, uh, glow tape on them so that mm-hmm. when the UV lights shined on them, they would actually glow like the characters in Tron. And they treated it like it was Shakespeare and it was the funniest thing I've ever seen. And I also realized at the same time how terrible that screenplay was. Still okay. looking forward to the sequel because I'm a glutton for punishment. Eventually. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, then I have some honorable mentions. Okay. Honorable mentions go to Ghostbusters, which is hands down a phenomenal movie. One of the funniest yes. comedies ever. But – the reason it's an honorable mention is because the tech is really, really kind of tertiary. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's cool tech. It's fun stuff. Um, but it also spawned an entire industry that I kind of look down on, which is the whole ghost hunting thing. Oh. <laughs> but anyway, uh, the Truman Show. Yeah. Which yeah. was almost good. Yeah. But it was, uh, it was interesting because it was really that, that was kind of, it, it sort of, um, predicted the whole live streaming thing. Yeah. Like, the Truman Show was really uh, looking ahead in a way because there weren't a lot of uh, there wasn't a lot of uh, examples of live streaming at that point. True. Uh, the Iron Giant, oh. which is guys, if you have not seen The Iron Giant by Brad Bird, do yourself a favor and watch it. Have a box of Kleenex handy. It is a it is a phenomenal movie. I mean, it's got tons and tons of heart. The uh, main you know one of the main characters is this gigantic robot. And uh, so that's why it kind of fits in tech. 
But again, it's more of a, it's more like a, a, a childhood friendship story, very much like E.T. Mm-hmm. E.T. would probably be the one that I would link it to the most strongly. Uh, if you have not seen Iron Giant, please rent that movie. It is a phenomenal cartoon. It is, uh, and, and Brad Bird, the guy who did it, he's also the guy behind The Incredibles. Yes. So, I mean, the guy knows how to tell a good story. And my last one is The Signal. Okay. Which is a locally produced film and actually did see receive wide distribution for like a day and a half. <laughs> uh, but the story behind that is a, a mysterious signal goes out over cell phones, televisions, radios, and it turns on uh, this kind of primitive um, base nature within people. People either get really violent or really paranoid, really scared, whatever, and they start reacting to it in very crazy ways. Only a few people seem to be resistant to it. Uh, no one's really sure why. It's told from the point of view of characters who are in the middle of this experience. So they don't have any expertise whatsoever. They, they don't know why things are happening. They're just trying to survive. Mm-hmm. So um, uh, it was filmed in Atlanta. Actually, if you look very carefully in one section, you will see the back of my head uh, because I was in a big, gigantic melee scene in that movie. Um, and a lot of people might be saying, hey, this sounds a lot like Stephen King's The Cell. Well, when the movie was being made, it was actually being made before the cell was published. So this was not, this was not in reaction to the cell. It was being made concurrently with the cell. Uh, it's a horror movie in three parts. Three different directors directed it. One did each part. Uh, the three parts are not the same in tone and it was done on purpose. Mm-hmm. And each part kind of concentrates on a different character within the story. Um, it, it still works, uh, it's probably not the smoothest film you'll ever see, but it's it's uh, an interesting take. And again, the technology there sort of taking a background uh, to the story. And you never really know why it happened in the first place. Yeah. That's all mine. Very cool. Do you have any more you wanted to add before we sign off? No, no, no. We've uh, so that was just much the Jonathan show for the last six minutes. I'm well, sorry. No, no, no. I you know I had some others that uh, that I considered mentioning. Uh, you know, like maybe I, we'll do Iron another Man. one of these in a year. Oh yeah, Iron Man. I mean, there's oh, there's tons How of stuff. I forget about that. Yeah, it's a good one. And, and we made it through without mentioning the time machine. Right. Didn't mention no, I mean, there's there's tons of tons of stuff. Well, we'll that, do. I mean, we'll do you start another, doing this in a year from now. Okay. We'll do another. Sure. Why not? Give us a chance to see some more movies. So uh, let's wrap this up with a little bit more listener mail. This comes from Skylar, who says, So there's been a lot of love for 3D lately, and I was wondering when we will have holograms to watch movies on. Maybe make a cool show, but answer back so I know I have the right email address. Thanks, Skylar. I haven't answered him yet, so but I will. Hopefully he'll get my email before he hears this. (laughs) Skylar, it will be a very, very long time. Yep. Holograms are tricky. Uh, one of our colleagues, Tracy Wilson, wrote an article about holograms, and I remember her uh, specifically having massive headaches while she was working on this um, because it's a very difficult concept to understand and explain, much less get it to work correctly. Yeah, and they, uh, as Jonathan and I were getting ready to do the podcast, I mentioned the uh, the technology that CNN was using during the uh, political season, um, and they had holograms of people. They are in 3D walking in the studio delivering their reports. Well, it's not really a true hologram. Right. Um, now, something like that might be possible, but right. it would probably be, I mean, as expensive as 3D TVs are now, now you could get you'd a, have to have a lot more equipment. It'd have to be bigger. 
to yeah. deliver that kind of experience in your home. You could get like a, a lenticular display television yeah. or, or, you know, whatever, and be able to see 3D images like that. But again, you would have to be looking at the screen. If you were, if you were looking, uh, from the point of view of the, the set, like if you were on the, if the television set were immediately to your right, let's say, and you're both, you're looking into the room, you wouldn't see an image, even if a friend of yours was standing, opposite you and looking at the screen, they might see a three-dimensional image that appears to be hanging in midair, but you wouldn't see anything because you're not looking at the lenticular display. Yeah, and that's that's sort of – when when we got this email, I was thinking um, that he might be imagining sitting around the movie watching, you know, like all – you know, him and all his friends well, yeah, watching I, the movie. I think of being able to stand up and move around and see the same scene from a totally different perspective and, you know, the yeah. camera angle is not changing. You're the one changing. Yes, but you'd have to have – you'd have to shoot that in a very, very um, – <laughs> yeah, very, I uh, – Dogmatic way you could, to get you could do it. You could probably do it in well. You could extremely do it, expensive. You could do a computer graphics version. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Or you could build 3D modeled things, but yeah, but doing it in live? person, yeah. No, I can't. I can't imagine. Uh, yeah, it's gonna be. It's gonna be a while. Yeah, unfortunately. Yeah. Let's wait for the singularity. It'll come then. Thanks a lot, Skylar. Well, if any of you have any questions or suggestions, comments, anything like that, write us. Our email address is techstuff at howstuffworks.com. And remember, visit our website for articles on everything from lenticular displays to why I hate Back to the Future 2. Actually, we don't have an article on that, but no. we have plenty of you other should. ones. Yeah, I could go on for days. You could. Um, and remember, we have a live show every Tuesday, 1 p.m. Eastern. You can find links to that on our blogs. Just go to thehousetoforks.com. Look on the right side. You'll see links to the blogs there. And Chris and I will talk to you again really soon. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. And be sure to check out the new Tech Stuff blog, now on the HowStuffWorks homepage. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you?